But with an attitude of worship, please bow with me real quickly as we seek our Lord's face and help. And as we now come before His throne of grace, ask mercy in time of need. Lord, we thank You. Lord, we praise You. Our Father in heaven, our Father and our God, as Jesus taught the disciples, hallowed be Your name. Holy is Your name. As we've heard this morning, Your name is holy. Your name is glorious. Your name is great, but above all, it's holy, holy, holy. Your kingdom come, Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Father, help us this day, on this Lord's day, to hallow Your name. May Your name be hallowed above, uh, above all names on this entire planet today. For you alone are exalted. You alone are holy. Help us, O Lord, to anticipate the kingdom to come. But above all, as to soon anticipate the King of Kings, the King Himself will be escorted and all the holy angels of heaven will come forth in power and glory and Jesus Himself will step forward in the sound of a great trumpet, the last trumpet, Lord will sound and the King of kings and Lord of lords will come forth in great power and glory to gather all the elect and a holy church together and judgment will be dealt out and righteousness and truth will reign forever and ever. Lord, we anticipate this day. Lord, we thank You that that's when Your will will be done on earth and that's when Your kingdom will come. We praise You, Father, for the hour is coming. So, Lord, we praise You. Help us to be watching and waiting and anticipating for Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. We're looking at verses 10 through 13. 10 through 13. Before I read the text, I want to mention to you something that uh, happened and I'm Sure, you remember this day on September 11th, on this particular day in the, which the nation will never forget. I don't know exactly where you were, but I can tell you where I was. About mid-morning as I was going to Atlanta at Kroger, I was a produce manager at the time. And as I arrived, I went through the store and as uh, I arrived there and as I was entering in, heading in, they the produce department, there was a TV above us and with the news on that the Twin Towers were hit violently by jets. Um, this was actually when it just happened. Um, no, not... I, I will say no one really knew at the time what was going on or... And then later on we found out the horrific news that was involved... It was devastating that terrorists was acting as they're uh, sacrificing them, themselves with innocent people and jets that was loaded up with jet fuel right into the crashed into the ten, twin towers. Thousands of civilians died that day in New York City. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out because as I was trying to see and hear the news as I was entering in. One of my co-workers, actually, um, a real big guy, he was a Christian man, and 
he worked with me in the uh, produce department and um, he looked at me in the eye as I just walked in and he said, uh, David, what's going on is really devastating. We don't know everything and as the news is saying, we're trying to find out the updates. And his name was Robert. And I asked him, I said, what's happening, Robert? I, I, I just walked in and I got the news here and he said that um, in the state of almost shock and panic, even as a Christian, he said, David, it's the end of the world. He really felt that. He, that's what he said to me. He said, this is really the end of the world. What's happening right now, for what has happened, these jets have just crashed into these towers, these twin towers in New York City. He said, this could be World War III. And of course, it didn't turn out to be that way. And of course, it was not the end of the world, right? Uh, now, with that being said, I had no idea how to respond to that, but, but to say God had mercy on us. And of course, at this time, I was praying and I was coming to work and everybody's mind was on that and watching the television as everybody was trying to work and customers was coming in and so forth. And we all found out, of course, this was a very horrible act of terrorist to destroy the Twin Towers. But can I say this? God allowed that to happen. Now, we, we, we care for the innocent lives that were lost, of course, and the church, churches in that surrounding area and across the nation reached out to the people whose lives were lost, and we should do that as Christians. But at the same time, calamity comes from the Lord too. And for, it was almost as if what happened to Israel, foreigners came within and took those twin towers. And God, if you look all the way through scriptures, God cannot stand haughtiness or pride. And the love of money, and that's what the twin towers, it was the trade centers, of course, of the nation, the heart of what goes on and as people worship and have the love of money, really. That's, they don't say that, but that you know that happens. And uh, even though this event will go down as one of the most devastating acts of, of war in America history, nothing like World War II, of course. That doesn't even go on the scale and the radar on that. But it does hold... It, 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 it is interesting. Um, it doesn't hold a candle of what's going to happen... Uh, that's what we're talking about today, is the day of the Lord. Now, again, that was a judgment, but not the judgment. That was a judgment on, of God on us. I assure you of that. Um, but did people get the message when that happened? You know, you see people waving flags, and people got serious for a short time about God, and then that faded away about two or three months later. People were back doing the same old thing. A nation that has forgotten God. And Scripture says in Psalm 9, the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. God judges those nations, and when they, especially if they're lifted up in pride. This nation has been lifted up in pride, sad to say, forgotten God. And again, I will say this, that was a judgment from God, but not the final judgment. Now, what Peter speaks of here in these verses is the final judgment. This is the end of the age, folks. This is the end of the world. The entire world, just not a nation. God will, he will wipe out the entire world and nations. 
with the sword of his mouth as Jesus comes forth and on a white stallion as King of kings and Lord of lords. So we're talking about the final judgment and the judgment of Almighty God on this earth. Scripture speaks of it as the day of God's wrath, as the Apostle Peter says by the Holy Spirit, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Let me read it to you. Hear God's word. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? That's one long question, but it's an important question. And then he says in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, speaking of God's people, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, now the day of the Lord. This will be the end of the world. Now, as Peter has drawn his reader's attention to the great truth that God will most definitely keep his promise, and God keeps his promises. He never fails to keep His word. He never fails to keep His promise. The day of judgment is approaching very, very quickly. Very soon. Very near. It's very near. The Lord is at hand. And would it be gentle to all men. And on that time line, which is God's calendar, not ours, not man's, We have seen that God is very patient. God is very long-suffering toward us. And He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that means specifically for God's people that judgment begins in the house of God. But God is very gracious and very patient and very long, long long-suffering. Now I want you to see something very important here. In verses 7 to 9, the Apostle Peter now progresses in his argument as he reminds his audience what the day of the Lord is. Now I want you to keep in mind something very important here. As I was studying this, I thought this was very important. That Peter does not teach a new lesson of eschatology here. It's not anything new. He is really deriving from the Old Testament prophets. His eschatology. He simply is just reminding his readers of the truth that they already know. They perfectly know about the day of the Lord. These great truths complete a compliment, or or an an compliment, I should say, and the encouragement to the saints. And this is his aim. His aim is to encourage the saints in the midst of this. Now, look back. To verse 1, beloved, he writes to encourage the saints, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. He's reminded them of something very important. And then he says in verse 2, that you may be mindful 
That we may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. You see where he's getting his eschatology? And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. They're basically passing down the commandment in which Jesus gives and gave. Verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come. Now before Jesus comes, scoffers will come. That's a fact. Scoffers will come in the last days. And he was speaking of the last days 2,000 years ago. It's just like two days to God. But the last days were the last days there. And they believed that. And here is the Apostle Peter warning them of these scoffers. In verse 4 he says, and they say, what do they say? Where is the promise of his coming? What are they, talk, what are they talking about? What are they denying? The second coming of Jesus Christ. And for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This is what they're saying. These scoffers are saying things has always been the way they always will be and nothing's going to change. So in other words, God's not going to keep His promise. There's no second coming. And this is the purpose of this whole epistle. It's all about the second coming of Jesus Christ that God will keep His promise. Now you can bank on this. The apostolic church, the early church, believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that He would imminently come at any time, at any moment. They believed and anticipated that. Now, even though He didn't come in that time period, it doesn't mean He's not going to come today. He will come back. Now, these scoffers were attacking. What were they attacking? The heart of the message was they were attacking the second coming of Jesus Christ. His second advent. That he would come in great power and great glory. They were literally scoffing at this. They were literally ridiculing it. That's what, he, what it says. But as you know and as I know, God will not be mocked. There is coming a day that God will have his day. Now I want you to look in verse 5, verse five through 7. This is kind of a, an overview to take us where we need to go and to keep us on track. The Apostle Peter reminds us to not to forget about the judgment that happened in the past. He reminds them of this. Notice verse 5. For this, this they, who's the they? The false teachers. They willfully forget. Notice that. They willfully forget it. They put it out of their mind. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now he's speaking about the great flood. The judgment that God flooded the world in Noah's day. And then he says in verse 6, By which the world then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It's like he jumps from the past judgment of the great flood to the judgment to come. And of course, and then he reminds us of the timeline of God's calendar. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. You see that? He's talking about the promise of the second coming. God's not slack. He's not slow. He's on time. As some count slackness, our slowness, but is long-suffering toward us, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, beloved, this is His direction in which He gives to the church, and we need to heed the same as the early church was hearing and reading this letter as well. Now, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, He goes right to it in verse 10 through 13. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we talk about. He makes the connections between the theology, notice this, the theology regarding the day of the Lord and the practice of that theology. Theology for theology's sake, is it good? Theology and application is what it's all about. Just to know theology isn't going to get us anywhere. Anybody can know it. But to know it and to practice it is exactly where Peter takes us. That's the Holy... Paul the Apostle does the same thing. We'll look at that in a minute. But the practice of this theology, what we believe... Now, get this. This is so important. What we believe about the second coming of Jesus Christ determines the way we live our lives, beloved. This is everything. The way we live our lives. Are you... And am, am I myself living life in the light of eternity? Or I like what Luther said. He lived this and he believed it and he practiced it. He says, I live on a two-day calendar. Today and judgment day. Tell people that. Tell them. But tell yourself that and practice that because that's the way we should live our lives as Christians. And let me say this, in the opposite of true eschatology and true theology, a false eschatology can only lead to unholy living. Likewise, a sound, biblical eschatology supports and motivates us to live holy and godly. This is what the world needs to see. How should we then live Francis Schaeffer wrote a book about that. R.C. Sproul wrote a book on, based upon Schaeffer's book. How should we then live then? That's a good question. Peter connects eschatology to ethics. He connects faith to hope. Just as the Apostle Paul did when he said in Titus chapter 2. Let me read it to you. You could go there if you like. Chapter 2. And verse 11 through 15 speaks about the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is the blessed hope of the Lord. For the grace of God that brings salvation. Listen to what he says. The grace of God has brings salvation. That's what brought the salvation. That's what brings Jesus is God's grace. Has appeared to all men teaching us. God's grace teaches us something. Listen to what he says. Teaches teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope. Notice what he says. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people zealous for good works. And then he says this, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Now that's, that's a command. 
And then if you jump to our text today, 2 Peter 3, verse 10 through 13, Peter speaks about the day of the Lord. Let's look at this. I want to re- recap a little, a few verses today. There's no way we can get through all these verses, but I chose a few from the Old Testament. We looked in extensively uh, last Lord's Day, but the great day of God Almighty, the day of wrath, the day of the Lord, this phrase identifies events that will take place at the end of history, the end of the age. Let me give you some scriptures from the Old Testament. You can go with me like if you like, and I'm just I wrote these down. Isaiah 2. Verse 12, we looked at that whole chapter last week. But notice what he says in verse 12. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Jump to Isaiah 13. Look at verse 6. Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and He will destroy its sinners from it. Look at verse 10. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Verse 11. This is God speaking. First person. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and I will lay low haughtiness of the terrible. Jump with me to Ezekiel chapter 30. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, again he says, Well, woe to the day, for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near. And it will be a day of clouds and the time of the Gentiles. We looked at Joel. Look at Joel. Going in the same direction, just... Flip your Bible over and it should be right in line. Joel 1.15, chapter 1, verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Look at Joel 2.11. 2.11. The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes His word. Notice the question. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Who can endure it? Look at verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Joel chapter 3. Look at verse 14 through 15. 
Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Interesting, valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Verse 15. Again, another prophet backs up the word of the Lord and and as Isaiah the prophet says, the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. Now go with me to the the book of Amos. Chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, look at verse 18 to 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It's a good question, isn't it? This is the day of God's wrath. This is the day of vengeance. And it will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? And then God says, I hate and despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. He says almost the same thing in Isaiah 1. Though you offer me burnt offerings. In other words, God is saying, what's He saying? He hates religion, folks. He hates Just prayers being made to be heard like the Pharisees did on the streets to be seen of men and heard of men. What he's trying to say is everything external, if it's not from the heart, worship, and loving God, not lip service, but heart service. If it's not that, God hates it. That's what he's saying. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Just like Cain worship. Nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer, did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikath, your king, and Chin, your idols. The star of your gods which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus. Says the Lord whose name is the God is the God of hosts. God is sovereign. And he's in charge. Look at Obadiah. You don't hear much from Obadiah. It's just one chapter. It's interesting. You can read Obadiah just in the, probably in a couple minutes. Obadiah, but it's a whole book. It's 21 verses. It's like the book of Jude. I believe Obadiah is the shortest in the Old Testament, and Jude is the shortest in the New Testament. But notice what he says in verse 15. All these prophets spoke about the day of the Lord. Verse 15, For the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal, it means reward, shall return upon your own head. Look at Zephaniah 1.7. Just keep going and just keep turning the pages to your left and you'll run right into it. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 7. Be silent. Listen to this. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. That means you keep your mouth shut and worship and, and love Him. 
For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and He has invited His guest. Look at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There's mighty men. There the mighty men shall cry out in that day. Verse 15. That day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress. A day of devastation and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. You see, you pretty much understand when you read the Old Testament prophets, this is what the New Testament apostles was basing their theology on. That's what Peter was basing his eschatology on. Look at Zechariah. Look at Zechariah 14.1. Zechariah 14.1. Good to hear those pages of the Scriptures just flipping there. Don't you love it? The day of the Lord. He speaks about it in this whole chapter, but I'm just going to read you one verse. Look at verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. How many times have we heard God say, the day of the Lord is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst, and I will gather all the nations to the battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from, that, from the city. One more from the Old Testament. Malachi. See the direction. I, may, I tried to make this easy for us so we're not going back and forth, back and forth in the Old Testament. Kind of go in a flow, you see. Look at chapter 4. This whole chapter, I'm going to read this whole chapter here because it's only six verses. But if you go back in Malachi 3 and chapter 1, let me back up a little bit because we're talking about the first advent of Jesus Christ, but there's also this speaks about the great day of God. But the coming messenger in verse 1, let me go back in Malachi 3, Behold, I send my messenger. Who's that messenger? That was John the Baptist. This is a prophecy of John the Baptist. And he will prepare the way before me. He did that, didn't he? John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. This is, by the way, Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet that spoke the word of the Lord. Then there was 400 years of silence and then John the Baptist rose up. This, is, this was fulfilled in John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He's coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then it says in verse 2... But who can endure the day of His coming? Who, will, who can stand when He appears? For He's like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer the Lord to the Lord an offering in righteousness. All because of Christ. Only we can worship God acceptably through Jesus Christ because of His perfect righteousness. But if you jump now to Malachi 4, now he goes from the first advent to the second advent, the great day of God. Notice what he says, For behold, the day is coming. And notice what he says. This is the day of vengeance here. Burning like an oven. 
And all the proud. Once again, notice how God points out the proud would be brought low. God hates pride. Burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will stubble, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name. Do you fear God's name today? Listen to this. The son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That's where Wesley got the, he will come with healing in his wings. It's talking about Jesus. The son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That's exactly what's going to happen when he comes in power and glory at the second event. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On, that, on the day that I do this. God fights the battles, remember? God's it's battles. It's, it's He fights the battles, says the Lord. And remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in horror for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great dreadful day of the Lord. Elijah will come back. And he would die. He never died. God took him up in a chariot of fire. But it says right here, he will come back before the great and coming great dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Then after that, verse 6, there is 400 years of silence, beloved. Silence until John the Baptist comes and starts preaching repentance. And he preached that the kingdom of God's at hand. And then he points everybody to the Christ of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All the Scriptures are filled with the first advent, the second advent of Jesus. I only got two points this morning. Let me just look at the first one. First of all, I like to focus on an unexpected destruction. Then we're going to look at an unreserved devotion. An unexpected destruction and an unreserved devotion. And Lord's in the next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we're going to look at the um, the last of what the Lord's going to do with the new heavens and the new earth. We're not going to be able to get that far, but and then we're going to have um, communion. Let's look at it. Verse 10. There is a future indicative here. Unexpected destruction. Unexpected destruction. What is it? That unexpected destruction is the day of the Lord will come. That's it. We just read it all through what the prophet says. There's going to be devastating destruction. This is just not a fairy tale. This is going to happen, folks. It's a, this is a future indicative. In other words... But the day of the Lord will come. It stresses the certainty, as we looked at last Lord's Day, that the day of the Lord will certainly come and it is not slowed up at all. It's right on time. And what the Old Testament prophets proclaimed, as we looked at, now we come to the New Testament, what the apostles affirmed. The New Testament apostles affirmed it. Now let's look at some New Testament apostles. 
I meant to say apostles. We looked at this last Lord's Day, but I want to, re- I want to revisit it. I think this is wor- worth looking at again. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Isn't this a great... I, I personally would like to encourage you, if you study eschatology and the last days, if you study Revelation... Don't forget to study along with it 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Because there's much in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians that speak about the last days. And tie it in. And you will see these pieces of the puzzle just come together so beautifully. Notice in verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I should write to you that for you, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. It's exactly what the Apostle Peter says. He comes suddenly, he comes unexpectedly. And for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. I really believe when 9-11 took place, that's labor pains. Those are warning signals. It's, it's like when, and you ladies know, us guys can't relate to this, but when you carry a baby, when you've carried a baby, those contractions come and they're warning signals that that baby is going to come. But the baby doesn't quite come. But there's almost feels like, I, I get this from my wife because she had five and I'm sitting there saying, trying to comfort her. But <laughs> And I learned when contractions came not to even touch her. But those contractions were like warming up to, for the baby to come. And that's what Paul, he gives an a interesting uh, analogy here. Like this is the way the judgment's going to come. Peace and safety. Sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains. Notice that. Labor pains upon a pregnant woman. You could say contractions. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Again, about the thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. And we are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. I pray that the church, Jesus Christ, will wake up. But the true church will be awake, won't they? Before the Lord comes, for... Then he says in verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. And you can assure this, be assured of this, that God will take His people out before He pours out His wrath. In that sense, yes, there will be a rapture of the church. What a lot of people don't want to know that, and, and, and believe that how much of the great tribulation period will the church go through? I, there's so many different views on this, folks. Amillennium, postmillennium, premillennium. Will the church go through the great tribulation? Will they escape it? So forth. All these different views. But I do know that God has not appointed us to wrath. When, when is this going to happen? I don't know. In the, the Bible doesn't tell us, 
But we do know there's a lot of things that's going to happen before he, he comes in that final day. The sound of a trumpet, the earth is going to shake. We know the sun's going to be put out. What happens when we don't have heat? Well, it's going to get freezing cold. The stars and the constellations will fall and all these uh, seals will be broken and the, boils, the bowls will be uh, opened up and all the trumpets and the judgments will be pouring out and then finally Jesus Christ will come back and, I mean, final wrath will be poured out. God will save His people. He says, because you've obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you as are doing. Now, it, you will see this if you go back from 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks, gives us a little detail about this. I do, and in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, basically those who died in the Lord, lest you sorrow as others and have no hope. We have hope. When God's people die, we're going to see Him again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, notice everything is all focused on the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and none of this would be taking place unless Jesus died and rose again. And even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Now He's talking about a resurrection. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. He's talking about His second coming. Will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The great King comes forth, folks. With the voice of, the, of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. There's a lot of different views about that trumpet of God. But personally, I believe here as you study it, and Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, the last trumpet. He's not talking about a first... Well, there are a series of trumpets, but he's not talking about skipping uh, a first advent, then a, a middle advent, then a second advent. No, there's just two comings. That's it. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's, we know that. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words that Jesus will snatch away His people. He's going to do that. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul and Peter speak about the day of the Lord is what? Comes as a thief in the night. Where did they get that? They got that from the Lord Jesus Himself. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24. Oh, that's, that's another chapter. If you study Revelation, you study Matthew 24. That's, that's the Master. That's the King Himself. And He knows all about it. And let me give you one verse. A couple of verses. Verse 43. Which Jesus says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken up. Verse 44, Therefore you also be ready, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's coming unexpectedly when the world will be caught off guard. But God's people will be ready. God's people will be sober because God's people knows Jesus is coming at imminently at any time and any moment. 
Revelation 3, 3, blessed is he who reads, listen to this, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. Those three things, for the time is near. Read it, hear it, keep it. In that order. You see, we got to read this book. we got to hear God's voice. And beloved, we got to keep it. we got to apply it. we got to live it. People say, yeah, but I can't do it. Exactly. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're being sanctified. We're, I'm repenting. You're repenting. But we're pressing onward and we're looking unto Jesus. Revelation 16, 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Least he walk naked and they see his shame. So the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Where does he get that? Turn Isaiah to 66. I'm telling you, these apostles knew the word of God and they they based their eschatology upon the prophets. Look at Isaiah 66. This is glorious. Look at verse 14 to 17. I'm going to tie some things in here. Brother Keith was talking about the reign of God, that God reigns, let all the peoples of the earth tremble. Notice what he says here in verse 14. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice in verse, uh, verse 14. <clears throat> and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to His servants and His indignation to His enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with His chariots like a whirlwind to render His anger with fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. And this is for by fire and by His sword the Lord will judge all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. It's like a day never seen. Go to Daniel chapter 7. I'm telling you folks, as I was studying this, this is all over the Bible. Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to just read you a little bit from Daniel. This is glorious here. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. This is a vision of the Ancient of Days that God gave Daniel. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated and His garment was white as snow. His, and who's He seeing here? The glorified Christ. But it's not. this is before He was glorified. This is Him and in His glory before He came, became flesh in His first advent. But He sees Him in His glory before the throne, his garment, the same thing John the Apostle saw. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels, don't you pay attention to that now, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and thousands and thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, almost like Revelation. The court was seated... And the books were open. You see that? This is thousands of years before Christ even came. Now jump with me now to Ezekiel chapter 1. I want you to see something. And before the judgment comes, there is what is called, I like got this 
phrase from Pastor John MacArthur. He called it the divine war machine. We see it right here in this chapter. My time's going by quickly, but I'm I'm going to try to get through as many of these verses as I can. I want to just try to go through all chapter 1. Look at verse 4. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire. Notice the fire. God is a consuming fire. Engulfing itself, brightness was all around it and radiating out of its mist like the color of amber out of the mist of the fire. The fire. Also from within it came the likeness the likeness of four living creatures. The best he can describe it, folks, in the Hebrew language, translated in our English language. But the likeness. It says, John, even John, the apostle, like unto... It's like it's so great, the only thing that you compare it to is something like unto it. It's like Paul says, I saw things that even my words, it was unlawful for me to even utter it. And he sees heaven in its glory, the likeness of four creatures. He sees it just like Isaiah saw in chapter 6 and like the Apostle John saw in, in, uh, in, in Revelation. And he says, and this was a, their appearance and they had the likeness of a man. Now he speaks of these creatures. Each one had four faces, each one had four wings. Their legs were straight. Their soles of their feet were like the soles of calves feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of man were under their wings on their four sides and each on the four had four had faces and wings. Terrifying creatures. God made these creatures specifically to worship Him. Their wings touched one another. Their creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. You know when I read things like this, I'll pause right here. And, and then you read in Revelation and you read through the Word of God how much God inhabits the praises of His people and then praises and praises and praises and to be glorified. And He makes creatures in heaven to constantly glorify Him on and on and duration is constant. How much does He love to be praised? The likeness of His their faces, verse 10. Each had the face of a man. Each The four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each the Four had the face of an ox on the left side, and each on the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were the faces. Their wings stretched upward. Two wings, each one touched one another, and two covered their body. It's like your mind can't just grasp everything here. And each one went, but you know why? It's because it's of another world. That's what holy is. It's other than anything that we know of. Alien to us. Verse 12, each one went straight forward, went whenever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. Look at, Listen to this. Burning coals of fire like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. Anytime you see lightning in Scripture, there's judgment. And the living creatures ran back and forth in the appearance like a flash of lightning. This is what MacArthur was talking about. This is the divine war machine cranking up, folks. And now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth besides each living creature has four faces and the appearance of wheels and their working was like the color of barrel and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings, workings was, and as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. This is like this is a war machine. 
They moved. They went toward one, any one of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. And as for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes. And all around, there were four of them. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went with beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whenever the Spirit wanted to go, they went because the Spirit went and the wheels were lifted together with them. And for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. went When those went, these went. And when they stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted toward together with them. And the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. The lightness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal and stretched out over their heads. Oh, it goes on. I'll stop right there. But I'm telling you, beloved, this is, this, this, it's almost like a divine war machine within and, and lightnings and thunderings and bolts and, and, and glory and radiance and colors. And this is heaven, folks. And then this divine war machine, lightning comes forth. And anytime you see lightning, it's almost, you see this in Revelation right before God pours out his wrath. And wham, it comes, devastates the earth. So powerful, it's beyond us. My next point is unreserved devotion. There's unexpected destruction. There's unreserved devotion. This is back to Second um, Peter. It's important that we get this because the way we live our lives is so important to this. This is a question. Therefore, in verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The reason why we look for it is found in verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to His promise. See that? Look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Sin will be dealt with completely altogether. Jesus dealt a blow with it on Calvary's cross. But He's going to finish it out. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? Death. Be put under His feet. Then light of the coming destruction of the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus. What kind of person should we be, beloved? And now this is application here. The knowledge that the physical world will burn up, beloved, and dissolve brings with it application. Peter, by the Spirit of God, answers this question for us. He gives us the answer. Don't need people to answer it. God gives the answer. Certain future destruction of the world motivates us both in godly conduct and an attitude of a believer in Jesus Christ. Notice the text with me in verse 11. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? There it is. Go with me to 1 Peter 3. I'm not 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. We'll, we will go to 1 Peter though. 2 Peter verse 1. Notice he says this in the beginning of the epistle when he wrote that, Grace be multiplied to you and to you in the knowledge of God and the Jesus Christ our Lord, as His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
Those all things basically mean all things in Jesus Christ. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. There's the promises. That through these you might may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Then He gives the list of the fruitful growth in faith. Very, very applicable. Very practical. Listen to this. But also this very reason, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Don't you need this? I do. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For these things are yours and abound. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And then he says this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call in election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's all by the grace of God. Notice back to chapter 3. He says, he basically says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? MacArthur notes this, how astoundingly excellent you ought to be. Explanation. Can you, can you give yourself, ask yourself that question, how astoundingly excellent you ought to be before a lost and dying world? This is straightforward. This is a straightforward challenge for every Christian believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ to conform our lives to God's standards, His holy standards in the light and the great reality of the second coming. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 4. I want you to see this. Paul makes a connection here. Chapter 4. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 4. Sorry, chapter 3. My mistake. And we'll close, aren't we? I like what Paul says here. <clears throat> Not one person is glorified. The one person that's glorified will be God. In the, in the watering, the working, and the warning. Verse 9, look at this. Let me go back to verse 6. I planted, but this is Paul speaking. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gets the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Don't you love that? This is the Apostle Paul. We're nothing but fools for Christ. 
And in verse 8, now he, plant, he who plants and he who waters are one. They work together. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. God's taking account, folks. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another one builds on it. That's a true missionary here. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. And then he says this, For no other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. Now if anyone builds... See, the church is not built upon pastors and evangelists. The church is built upon Jesus Christ. He's the head cornerstone. And also the apostles and prophets. But here Jesus is the focus. And now if anyone builds on this foundation, then he's the foundation cornerstone. Listen to what he says. With gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. What Those are jewels that are hidden beneath the ground. The wood, hay, and straw is above the ground. When the fire is laid to it, what burns up? The wood, hay, and stubble. I like what Ravenhill says, and you knee deep in ashes when God burns it up. But those precious stones, you put fire to it, they're beneath the ground, but when you do put fire to gold, silver, and precious stones, it just melts and it's, it's the same and just as precious and refined. It's purified. Amen. God will purify the sons of Levi. Then he says this, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. What day? The day of the Lord. Because it will be revealed by what? Fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Not the quantity, but the quality. That's what God sees. If anyone works which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? What a question. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. That's so, that reminds me of Romans 12. 1 and 2. Doesn't it? We're talking about holiness here, folks. Listen to this. I beseech you. You know what that word beseech means? I urge you. I urge you. I beseech you, therefore, by the brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your what? Reasonable service, your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Are you being transformed? By what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God? 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. My time has gone by so quickly again. And I'm going to close with this. Because this is so important. This is the Apostle Peter by the Spirit of God. So important how we are to live in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is so urgent. This is so important. I cannot say enough about it. 
But first Peter, look at verse 13 through 20. 21. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming, there's that word again, yourselves to your former lust as in your ignorance. But he, as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in what? In all your conduct. There it is. Because it is written, it's based upon the command of God, not necessarily just the command of the apostles, even though they gave that command, but it's the Lord's command. Be holy, for I am holy. And as children of the living God, God's children are to be different and to be holy. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord of hosts. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Beloved, I beg you, again, he's begging you as sojourners. You sojourners, aren't you? Pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, desires which war against the soul. Having your conduct, what kind of conduct we should have? Honorable. Is your conduct honorable? Among the Gentiles? That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works. But good works follows the child of God. We're not saved by good works, but it's the fruits. Zealous of good works. Which, what? They observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. By the way, that day of visitation speaks about the day of judgment. Some, some translate it as the day of salvation. It could mean that. But in light of what Peter is saying, the day of judgment. Holy conduct, godliness. Our holy conduct refers to the way a Christian should be living. Godliness refers to the spirit of reverence, of godly fear, and the fear of the Lord to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Amen? Christians, how about you? The most basic idea of holiness involves the concept of separation from the world. We don't see this enough in our time. May God help us to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So much more can be said. The knowledge that the world is going to be burned up, folks, as Peter says, and it's going to be burned up, should motivate each and every one of us to separate ourselves from this world that's going to pass away. Everything in it is going to pass away. And the only thing that's going to endure forever is those who do the will of God. What use is it become, to become like the passing world, accepted by the world, and pursue the world if this world is going to pass away and the lust thereof? And it's all going to be burned up? Why would we even desire to strive after the vain works of this world? And when it's all going to be exposed and burned up, At the judgment. If we truly believe, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back in power and glory and judge the world, and this is real, that He's coming, and He's going to burn the world up, destroy the world, and then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, our lives should bear witness 
and be evident that we are holy in our conduct and godliness. This righteous conduct, holy conduct, godly living, Peter basically gives motivation of what kind of people we should be. Watching and anticipating until Jesus Christ comes back. Let's, may we be ready and we, may we be living holy and godly until He comes back. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Lord, help us to truly gird up the loins of our mind. Help us, Lord, to be sober. Help us to rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Help us, O oh God, to truly be obedient children, not conforming ourselves to our former lust, our former desires as we once did in our ignorance, but to live holy and righteous and godly, separate from this evil world. And may they see a burning light of the shining love of God in us and may we point them to the Lord Jesus Christ who came to save His people from their sins. Oh Lord, help us. Especially in this time of the year when people are... There's a window of opportunity for us to present the gospel. Lord, we should be presenting it every day. But Lord, help us to truly be burning up with Your fire and flame to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and His great love. That He can wash away their sins by His precious blood and give a living hope for the future. Lord, help us by Your Spirit to be watching and anticipating the coming day of the Lord. And may we truly be sober. Fill us with Your Spirit. And may we be zealous for these good works. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.